I'm mischievous Mark Chinacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, including Amazing Fantasy 15. But as for the annuals, I don't think they count. But of course, Amazing Fantasy 15 counts. It's it's the countiness of all counting comics, Dan. It's a different series, Mark. <laughs> it's a different series. Yes, it's me. Uh, I'm Dapper Dan Gavostin, and I also own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, but I've long said that I think that they count, but for me, Amazing Fantasy 15 remains a fantasy. Welcome to the Amazing Spider-Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comics universe. Thanks for joining us for a new review episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. If you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app and leave us a review to help spread the word about our show. You can also subscribe to our Amazing Spider Talk Substack for additional reviews and fun and announcements and all the news you need about our podcast. Right, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. All the B-title reviews that used to be a part of our show are now located in the Substack. Going to be an awesome place for Mark and I to kind of talk about stuff we don't normally get to cover on our show, which is to say there's a lot of Spider-Man content out there and it just keeps coming you know, like a, like a hose left on. All of the work that Mark and I do can happen because of the support of our Patreon members. If you want to receive early episodes, exclusive artwork, and keep our podcast and Substack and all of that stuff going, go to AmazingSpiderTalk.com and consider joining our Patreon. But for now, today on the show, Mark and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, Number 35. This issue was written by Zeb Wells. The cover artwork is by John Romita Jr., Scott Hanna, and Marcio Menez. And interior artwork is by Patrick Gleason, with colors by Marcio Menez and Eric Arseniega. And, of course, letters by VC's Joe Caramagna. This issue was first released on October 11th, 2023. So, Mark, why don't you hit us up with a recap of the issue? Thanks, Dan. Well... We open up real close on Norman Osborn's eyes. Osborn is studying the spear that has caused Peter Parker to go cuckoo, and after some exposition, we flash over to Craven's eyes, who tells us that he no longer likes guns. Well, it's my God-given right to have one according to the Second Amendment, so F your feelings, Kraju! Anyway, skip over to some blood being spilled on the ground in Red Hook, and we see Hammerhead dropping names of all the big Marvel gangsters. 
Crymaster, Diamondback, Mr. Negative, and Black Mariah. I smell a gang war, people, and no amount of solicitations or New York Comic Con panels is going to prepare us for what's coming next. Right, Dan? <laughs> Not at all. And now we're checking out the Holland Tunnel, where Sinister Spider-Man is getting lectured by Queen Goblin while a terrified-looking MJ and Man Bun Paul watch. It's worth repeating that if Marvel Thanksgiving Paul, a Man Bun is going to turn the tide of toxic fandom in their favor, maybe they're the ones who were injected with Norman Osborn's sins. Anyway, Spider-Man hates them all, which is definitely something I have thought to myself while sitting in the Holland Tunnel. Fisticuffs <laughs> commence with Spidey and Queen Goblin, and Spider-Man gets the upper hand pretty quickly, so he turns his attention to Paul. MJ tells Paul to run and get her jackpot gauntlets ready. Peter starts talking trash to MJ and about her being taken from Paul, but before any ruthless aggression can be taken out, Queen Goblin re-enters the picture. She wants Norman's sin back, and if Peter won't hand them over, She'll tear them out of his throat, which I got to say is a pretty good line. But naturally, that causes MJ to go all jackpot on the queen because no one is killing Peter today, at least not in an issue 35. And since legacy Spider-Man sidekick Kamala Khan isn't in this issue, I guess no one is going to die in this issue, probably. Oh, wait. While MJ and Queen Goblin fight, Peter is able to grab Paul by the leg and dangle him over the side of the tunnel. He tells Paul he doesn't belong here, and Paul's all like, I ain't arguing. Why don't you attempt to kill me so Mary Jane can save me and demonstrate her love for me and how she loves me more than you? And then that would really drive the internet crazy. And that's exactly what happens, folks. Also, Kreju shows up and is all like, you want my butt this whole arc, but I still think this is unworthy of you. But before we get that confrontation, Dan, I bet you were surprised by this plot development because it surprised me. Norman Osborn, remember him? He shows up in the nick of time to save everyone. I did not see this coming. Anyway, he somberly tells MJ he enjoyed getting to know her. And do I smell a Sins Path sequel for Nick Spencer to retcon? <laughs> Spider-Man and Kraju get down and dirty, and Spider-Man is quickly getting the upper hand again, causing blood to splatter and Kraven to smile, which only makes Peter matter. Spidey is all like, why are you laughing? And Craven tells him because he did not off himself like his father. And I'm thinking, man, the Craven offs have a really low bar for gratitude. <laughs> this moment of distraction gives Norman the opportunity to stab Peter with the spear again, thereby absorbing his sins from him and returning Peter to the status quo. Peter falls into MJ's arms, begging for forgiveness. And who he really should be apologizing to is Man Bun Paul here but I also don't want to give Marvel any ideas for future comics. You can make the check payable to Mark Janakia. Days later, Randy Robertson is ranting against New York City, not having the resources to make infrastructure more resilient against supercrime. And what do you expect from an administration that also allocates resources for an embassy to purgatory? What's next? Giving Galactus Staten Island as a form of appeasement? Anyway... Peter seems to be doing better, while Norman is looking pretty pensive as he's thinking more about the home of his sin, which leads to the ambiguous ending of him letting out an evil laugh and covering his mouth, and honestly, who among us? 
And that is issue 35, Dan. So, I mean, man, Mark, you brought a lot of energy to that one. Uh, (laughs) It was a a uh, lot this issue to react to, I feel. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, Mark, to get this conversation started, you and I have constantly harped on multi part Spider Man stories executed under this editorial team across now three different runs as having endings that disappoint. And yeah, and Zeb Wells' run has had a mixed record with, I think, an excellent ending to World Without Love, like an, maybe an all-timer ending to, to that story. I think a kind of miss across the board for Dark Web. And I guess, well, the less said about the ending of Dead Language, the better, as much as we love the lead-up stuff to that arc. Now we've come to the end of Spider-Man's first hunt. Did this ending live up to the potential established by its early chapters? Yes and no. I I, I enjoyed this ending. I, I, I felt this was kind of an all's well that ends well, and it also sets up a lot of future stuff. I mean, I do think it's worth noting that I do think that this um, comic kind of reverted to the mean a little bit after that really excellent second part of this arc, um, which was like an all-time... Uh, issue for me in terms of like modern Spider-Man here. You know, we talked about it even in the last issue that it kind of like, you know, came back down to earth, if you will. I I, I felt this was better than the last issue for the most part. So like, I, I, I feel like we're in a good place. There's some good stuff here. I mean, some predictable stuff. I, I was generally satisfied. I don't I don't think there was anything here where I was like, oh, my God, what are they thinking? You know, what, what, what about you? No, I completely agree. There was some, it's more of a mixed bag, but I think overall it, it sticks the landing that it like set out to, to land. This, this is the only issue in this story that I felt a, like it was rushing a little bit on. Like I could definitely, and this is a rarity for me to say this, I could definitely have used one more issue in this story. And maybe it came down to Patrick Gleason's availability, but there's so many elements in this particular issue that I felt like we could have expanded on, you know, even just for like fun, like Peter versus MJ, like that could have been a whole issue itself and really like brought in a lot more emotion that's been boiling in the background of this entire Zeb Wells run, or even just like getting into the mechanics of how this whole shotgun spear sins thing works. And ultimately that was kind of my biggest letdown. I know you joked about how obvious it was that Norman would come in at the last minute and save the day, but I felt like he kind of got off scot-free. I know the ending suggests otherwise, and we're definitely headed down the path of the green goblin again. But um, I think I was like hoping for something a little more definitive out of this arc like it feels like Norman got out without really having to sacrifice much or he he did sacrifice something but it was only through a technicality and we can talk more about the Norman Osborne um, of it all but like not understanding the stakes here and how it all works continued to like kind of undercut my like like how important every moment of, of this felt um, even if I did like how a bunch of these stories resolved. I think some of this stuff ends up being a little wishy-washy and not quite as definitive 
as I as I would have liked. I definitely see what you're saying. It's funny when you talk about like kind of like needing a little extra space for this story. I, I, I you know, there are aspects of it, like you said, like the, the MJ Spider-Man showdown and just just the general machinations, maybe getting a little more exposition uh, to, to, to make a little more sense. I, I hear you there. I guess at the same time, like I think this was the perfect dosage of this kind of Peter slash Spider-Man that we could like, I don't know if I could have sat through another issue of evil Spider-Man. I, I felt it was a little bit more restrained again, this issue, or at least like it was just, it was just more direct and pointed. It wasn't like less chaotic. Like I, I, I felt like last issue was just over the top for me, which was part of the reason why I, I, I dinged it a bit. This one seemed a little bit more focused in the evil and the, and the chaos he was causing. So maybe, maybe that's what it boiled down to, Dan. Maybe some of the, the, the hijinks that, that sinister Spider-Man was, was undergoing uh, in, in issue 34 could have been trimmed and we could have gotten maybe a little bit more of an explanation of, in terms of how we got to the ending here. Well, that's interesting that you say that because I I actually thought like this was the issue where like Spider-Man went full like Twitter Spider-Man or or, or like incel Spider-Man, if you will. Like, I, I you know, I hate to to lump all that together, but like, you know, like this is the this is the issue where Spider-Man like attacks Mary Jane and blames her for his miseries. And, and like that's a big moment, like him lashing out at Paul for like a perceived slight of going after his girl is one thing, but then to go like full, like, uh, like blaming Mary Jane, um, is like something else. And I, I don't have a problem with it because, you know, like, uh, I, I think that's really interesting. And frankly, I think I would have liked more of that, not that particular thing, but like, there is something interesting about like his actions as influenced by Norman sins, as a like revealing lens into Peter's like maybe worst instincts or tendencies or worst subconscious. And to me, this one felt a little more diver- divorced from what I would think Peter was feeling, which is to say like, if this is actually how he's feeling somewhere deep down inside, I kind of wanted more of an insight into whatever incel sinister Spider-Man's mind about like, what he's thinking and we're still kind of kept kind of most distant from him of all the major players here. Like this, this book is narrated largely by Norman Osborn. We get like a page or two of Spider-Man's narration and it's mostly just like angry lashing out. Well, and and maybe that would shed some light onto like what it is like to be Norman under the influence of the green goblin. You know for I mean? sure, but but I, I I feel like this was a concept, this was a gimmick that was kind of leveraged for uh for how it was convenient. I mean, like you know, part of what I I really loved about uh, issue thirty three was like it was, I mean, it was just so focused on Spider Man methodically getting his revenge against Craven. You know what I mean? And it was very focused and and very and paced very well. Whereas I feel like last issue was like, hey, now I'm gonna screw with Tombstone, and now I'm gonna I'm gonna beat up. Norman, and now now I'm going to go find Peter and, and and MJ, and it was it was just kind of like, you know, and and granted, this is sometimes how the Green Goblin has appeared in Spider-Man stories, but it was just like this very like Asian chaos kind of approach. This issue felt a little more focused again in terms of like, no, it was just MJ, it was just Paul, and this was kind of the big crescendo. So I think the, the focus of it all, regardless of like how 
dark a turn it is for Spider-Man. It, it, that's the thing. It's it's almost like I've always seen. I I feel Norman works best as a villain when when he is being methodical and 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 you know it's it's you know is it that is it that the Goblin. Uh, makes him mad or is, is he already mad and and the goblin just kind of heightens it you know what i mean and and this storyline kind of went back and forth on on that concept you know sometimes it was just like he just lost all control whatsoever and and you know i don't i don't, I don't know what my, my my grand summation of that is per se <laughs> but I, I i guess like you know again like it it didn't bother me as much in terms of the turn it took, it, but 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 like I, I I would have liked a little less scatological evil, and I don't know if I needed to get in his head per se, but I I would have liked it to be more consistent. I guess is what I was trying to say. So let's talk about the MJ fight because like I, I think like what's there is pre- is pretty solid, um, and I think like this is a moment that like I'm kind of happy to see in the pages of this book because like it's almost as if MJ is fighting against like a representation of a community that thinks she kind of shouldn't have free will to not be with Peter. You know, she's fighting a Peter that is like, how dare you be with anybody but me? And I don't want to cast like aspersions, but there are like these kind of like save Peter and MJ movements online that like take it to a personal level of like, uh, how much these two need to be together and have like lashed out against Zeb Wells for even daring to, you know, do something different with them. And like, that's not to say I've loved what he's done, but like, I think that option should be there. Anybody there's like, you know, and, and people are going to blame Zeb Wells, but for, for doing it. And it's like, well, there's like, if that's going to be allowed to happen, someone has to author it, you know? And I felt like, MJ fighting off Spider-Man was in some way declaring her freedom from that in some way, you know, and and that might serve editors purposes of like giving her a book. We just learned about the jackpot one shot that's going to come out as part of gang war, but I still have faith that she's remaining a Spider-Man supporting cast character. And this is just a way of further exploring the thematic idea that Zeb Wells is interested in, which is like, how do we kind of decouple Mary Jane from that legacy in some way that she might end up being a free agent. And weirdly, and we can talk about this later, I think it kind of parallels Craven's journey in this arc. Yeah, I guess that she's not following the sins of her predecessor or her predecessor being her former creative self. I don't. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, I mean, maybe I, I'm getting too metatextual about it, but yeah, um, I mean, you, yeah. I, 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 you might be overreading a little bit. I, I, I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from. I mean, like looking, looking at this very strictly in terms of like what's on the page, I, I actually quite enjoyed some of the subtle decisions made in this confrontation because, you know, like, you know, they, they, they all get ready to, um, throw down but like it never actually comes to it and i and i appreciated that i thought that was a smart decision i i, I kind of liked the fact that they were kept in separate corners ready to confront each other you know the, the, there was no actual blows given because i think like it would have then um made where it ended with with like kind of you know mj 
forgiving Peter for what happened, which I also really liked. I think it would have made it muddier if if they had actually, you know, like if she had used the gauntlets on him and he had webbed her up or who knows what, you know what I mean? Like it just, it, it would have left a very unsettled feeling, I think for me with this comic. But like, I, I, I like that, you know, we, we, we showed that they, you know, they, they there were some good lines of dialogue exchanged that kind of, you know, like you said, captured certainly a sentiment about MJ and, you know, the betrayal there and then MJ's independence of that. But I, I, I like that there was no physical blows exchanged. And I, and, I, and I really did appreciate the moment with her and Peter at the end because, like, that was always something, frankly, I found immensely frustrating about kind of the, the aftermath of Superior, which was like, you know, in, in during the dead slot run, MJ was more or less like, you know what, I don't even know you know, it's some crazy. So if it's not one crazy thing, it's another with you, and I can't deal with it anymore. And this MJ, you know, was I felt very reasonable and fair. And like she's like, I know it's not. I know that wasn't you, Peter. I know. You know what I mean? Like they're like he, he didn't have to. I mean, he felt horrible, but like he did not have to. You know, demonstrate that. You know, there was more to it than that, um, which I think is you know for for. For a creator who allegedly hates these two, um, I think was a very um, benign resolution to their story that was given that I think, frankly, leaves the door open for for growth in that relationship, if that makes sense. Yeah, I actually um, really like that moment, too. I think it's really interesting to analyze what Peter says back to MJ, who like forgives him. And Peter's it's interesting because he keeps kind of getting cut off or trailing off. He doesn't really complete any of his statements. So like I'm a little bit um, unsure about like what he's entirely trying to say. But my read on it is that he's saying like, hey, I didn't feel that way about you and Paul. And I don't feel that kind of ownership over you. You can like you haven't done anything wrong regarding Paul, like despite his emotional reactions throughout this run, like he's moved on in some way or is allowing her to do what she wants to do. And I think that's a really important like emotion moment of emotional catharsis to put Peter through this and then like have it be the thing that leads him to finally declaring that to MJ, like, Hey, I'm, I'm letting you like move on. It's not the most robust arc across this run. I think the MJ stuff has been a bit sloppy, but I think this is a genuinely solid emotional moment between the two that you're right. Could be the bridge to building something back again, a relationship like, you know, where this kind of like independence is truly earned or trusted in, in, in some, I'll, I'll go out on a limb, Dan, and say that this was as strong as a moment that Peter and Mary Jane have had together but not together since the ending of spider island you know what i mean like i feel like this was this this, this was a powerful statement about where they are it's like despite everything that, that they've gone through not just in this arc but through this entire run so far that that there is still love there you know like that 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 you know that is that is what i took away from it i mean it doesn't you know is it romantic love or or or, or um you know like a sister love i don't know but <laughs> but like you know for, for people that want to see Peter having 
mature adult relationships. I mean, not every mature adult relationship is a romantic relationship. And, you know, like we, we, we need to see these things build and evolve as well. You know? So, well, I, and I don't think anyone other than people like intentionally misreading this title, like, believes that MJ doesn't still love Peter. She just was stuck in another dimension for years on at a time. Like she waited for a long time for him. That was not done out of like any kind of performative, you know, nothingness it, that was done in a very real love, but she established a family elsewhere and that has like changed it. But like you can love many people and, and circumstances take you one way or the other. You know, I, I, you know, the way she holds him in, in her arms in that panel preceding the one of his face is very tender. I don't think that that's something that will, will is lost forever. So, yeah, I, I thought this was a really strong moment. Um, although like, moving on to the next moment, you know, Peter is kind of like living in this guilt. And, uh, you know, he says, like, the best way to relieve that guilt is to basically put back on the red and blues and go out on the town. This is like, to me screamed amazing spider-man 300 <laughs> i know your favorite comic did is that the impression you got straight oh 100 100 yeah yeah it's a beautiful full page from from gleason and and echoing todd mcfarlane as well i think yeah well you know which which you know works because gleason is you know one, one one of the few artists who can who can claim that you know the mantle of mcfarlane i think to a degree um what did you think about Peter and Norman talking about blaming everything on Eddie Brock. <laughs> what do you think is going to come from that? If anything? I, I loved, I love it, especially since Eddie is like, God knows where to defend himself, you know? Um, so I thought that was really like a funny solution to this, you know, as eager as I am to see New York hating on Peter again, just because it's fun to read, you know, I, I guess it's probably good that people don't think that Spider-Man was out there potentially murdering people, you know, I, although I don't know how, I guess maybe attacking the Holland Tunnel would be fairly public. But like, man, I kind of hope this becomes something to put Peter and Brock at each other's throats again. Like, it's right there. Like, I, I would love to see that just because, like, I love that old dynamic. And I, I don't suspect it's going to go anywhere. Like, I, I don't know. The minute I read that, I was like, I'm looking for any reason. I, I'm a guy that's like looking to antagonize both these characters so that they fight each other again, which may not be the healthiest of behavior of mine. I mean, I, 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 I'm with you on that end. I'm also with you to just kind of get Eddie Brock back to being a normal character in Marvel Comics again. But that's a whole other discussion, which you could read about in our Substack. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know where else where people can hear about it, Dan? Our Slack. Should I tell people about the Slack? I think you should, Mark. Well, okay, great. So hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider-Slack community is absolutely free to join. And you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Uh, Dan, what's been happening in the Slack this week? Uh, Mark, this week in the Slack, there's been a lot of discussion of New York Comic Con. I'm jealous that I'm not there because it actually looked like a great time 
despite the fact that apparently someone took a dump on the floor of the Javits Center. Like, I immediately thought of you, Mark. I was like, is this how Mark feels about the Javits Center? Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, not to be crude, but like, you know, based on smell alone, how could you tell? Um, but <laughs> <laughs> anyway. But it looked like a great time, and there was a ton of like big Spider-Man and Marvel news out of their various panels, including our first details about an image and look at Ultimate Spider-Man, which apparently is going to be more like a book about Peter B. Parker, is what Hickman is saying. Uh, time will tell and what that means. Like, I kind of hope to get, like, if we get, like, a middle-aged, depressed Spider-Man would be really fun for me. Spider-Man in sweatpants, baby. That's what I want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It sounds like a cool concept. I, I, I you know, I, I'm this way and that about Hickman and what he's doing right now, but... You know, nothing, nothing about this concept so far gives me pause. So let's go for it, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, come join the fun in our Slack. Great conversations between people that are very kind to each other and always just celebrating the fun and love of Spider-Man. There's a link in the description of this episode that'll let you sign up in less than a minute. Come hop on in. We'd love to have you there talking about Spider-Man with us. Speaking of talking about Spider-Man, let's get back to talking about issue 35. So, Mark, one of the things I really dug about this issue and have been really enjoying about the Zeb Wells run overall is that every story, he kind of finds a way to incorporate all of his other stories in in some way, right? This, this story didn't need to involve Paul and MJ, and yet there they are, and we get a really defining moment for that storyline in this other story, you know, and it also updated the Norman story and it also updated the Craven story in meaningful ways. And I feel like this guy does a good job of not saying, you know, like these pieces should not intermingle with each other. Like it feels like all of these elements kind of, you know, join the spice of the stew. I mean, we even get some buildup here to uh, gang war that like I thought was like nice, brief, Let's keep it moving and let's me not forget that that's coming down the road, but without getting too obtrusive here. That's the thing I've really appreciated about this run. Do you have any feelings about that just generally? This entire arc did a good job of kind of moving both these pieces forward and then other pieces forward. Like it, it, it really does feel like since the ending of Dead Languages that this this book is just constantly in motion again. You know what I mean? Kind of, you know, like it, it, it's constantly moving to the next thing, but not in like a, you know, I, I feel like in past runs, we've kind of gotten that, but like in a vague mystery box kind of way. And this is just like, no, 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 this is, you know, like we, we, we're advancing stories and, you know, yes, it was an ambiguous ending with Norma, but not like in a, like, you know, like a, uh, you know, who's the who's the big bad kind of a way either. You know what I mean? Like it just I don't know, like everything just seems to kind of moving, growing. I mean, I know that there were some people that felt like Peter didn't grow in this storyline. I don't know. I mean, your mileage may vary on that. I don't want to say most impressed, but I was definitely impressed with kind of where we ended with Craven or Kreju here. Unexpectedly, it was like, hey, like, I feel like we made an interesting statement here with the Kravenoffs, which, you know, I don't know if the rest of Marvel is going to listen, but like, you know, kind of like, let's finally break the cycle of, of all the Kravenoff stuff. I mean, like, 
I'm down for that. Let's do something new with the Kravenoffs. Why instead of revisiting Craven's Last Hunt for the 950th time, right? <laughs> yeah, like if you've read Squirrel Girl, like break out the Craven and let's let's get him traveling around the country, uh, like helping out college kids. No, I I I I agree with you. I felt like you know, I, I I'm the first to critique like another rehash of Craven's uh, Last Hunt, but this one actually seems to have like said we're going to do something different with this character. You know, like Nick Spencer's one was about kind of saying like, how do we clean all that up and just have a fresh, this is Craven now, but it's still kind of in the shadow of all that other stuff. This finally feels like this guy and, and his emotions in the issue tell you everything. He is as happy as could be that he gets to move on from this stuff, that he is not going to commit suicide, that he, that he was given every opportunity to do so and didn't take it. I mean, heck, we. I feel like this lets us even see Craven as an anti-hero. Like, I, I could see like a like a Craven book of him redefining his legacy in some way, you know, and moving away from being a Spider-Man villain, you know, or maybe get like a Sandman kind of like remake. Heck, put the Cra- put Craven on the Avengers. Uh, you know, how bad Whoa. could that be? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you might be going a little crazy here, Dan, but like, yeah, yeah I yeah. mean, like I, I'm, I, I feel like we are now in a place with this character where we can legitimately do something different than before and, and not feel completely out of left field. And I think that's a good thing because yeah, like we, we have just been spinning our wheels, even, even with resets and everything else that people have attempted to do. I mean, you know, until, until we have a mini series about like Craven's nanny or something, who's now trying to get revenge. But like, you know, like it, it, the bottom line is not to write out Craven, but let's just, let's just do something different because, you know, like, like having to, to, to defeat the, the legacy of Craven's last hunt. Nah. I'm just, I'm over it. <laughs> it's like, it's a, it's a 30, 35 year old story. Let's move on. <laughs> what did you think about Norman's kind of like a story here? I mean, like, I really think that we all went into this arc thinking this is it. This is the end of good guy, Norman. And the twist is kind of, I think I said at the top that that was a little bit disappointing for me. And I don't know if it's the result that's disappointing because I get the desire to not have him suddenly flip back and to be able to play with, you know, is he, isn't he? And when is that ticking time bomb going to go off? Like that's very appealing. I understand that. I think it was the way we got there that confused me and made me go, ah, very strong. Did we get him? energy for sure? Yeah, I mean, I I I I think if this storyline gets gets one big ding for it, it's 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 just, you know, I I I feel like we're further along in the inevitable for Norman for sure. I don't think that's it, it, despite you know the fact that I think it was done in the most ambiguous way possible, whereas they could have been a little clearer about it. But like all the same, yeah, I mean, like the way the melodrama of the way it was being written versus what actually happened, you're kind of like, all right, like like let's not, you know. We we keeps we still keep trying to make like fetch happen with Norman here that he's doing something great here and and it's just like you know it keeps you know Norman's big success basically is how he constantly keeps showing up in the nick of time for all these stories but like I don't <laughs> I, I I don't know if he has done anything that great and magnanimous either it's just a weird place for the character I feel like they're kind of spinning their wheels a little bit with him I mean I don't want to make it sound like they're 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 completely running in place because they're not but like they're not. 
they're not moving as quickly as they should either, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, this this issue even had a moment where he says to MJ, like, it was nice getting to know you. Yeah, and it's nice, like, nice, okay, nice that's to know it. you, pal. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's the end. Like, why set that up if you're not even going to remotely play with the idea of, like, offing good guy Norman in some regard, you know? Like, I, I won't lie. Like, I love the final page. Don't get me wrong. The, like, close-up of his mouth with a little laugh just sneaking its way out was great. You know, like, I, I think that's a really cool, like, moment. I, I don't know. I just, I, I, I was expecting Norman to do something a little more bold to earn the death of good guy Norman. You know, like, it's not even really portrayed that way. I mean, I frankly also feel like we kind of got this ending at the end of the Hobgoblin arc 20-something issues ago, you know? So, like, it, it's not, again, it's not fresh and new yet. So, um I mean, we'll see. I think we're, I, like I said, I, I, I do feel we are further along than we were five issues ago. But like we're 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 still kind of playing with expectations here and yet still being kind of predictable with Norman, if that makes sense. So I don't know. It, it's it's it, it left me a little flat. I just don't even understand the mechanics of it. Right. Like the book opens with this suggestion that like they're combining or melting down the shotgun into the spearhead or whatever. And that like, they, they literally say like the, the shotgun consumes the darkness, but the spear just holds it. And it's like, I don't know what that means. And like at the end <laughs> of the book, Craven's like, I'm going to go bury this thing where no one can find it. And then Norman's like, ah, but it's still going to find me. And it's like, how, like, like just, just, just tell me how I just want to know how, like, like, are there little red goblin head ghosts floating back to Norman in his sleep? What is it? Because we've established this is a real thing. It's a tangible thing. Like, don't just tell me, like, well, he's fated to do it anyway. It's like, no, that's the exact opposite you've been saying all this time. Like, like just, just tell me, Zeb Wells, how does this work? I know Nick Spencer didn't tell us, but it's on you now. Tell us how, how this works. You're like Scott Evil. Just shoot him. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, why? Why is he evil? Anyway, no, it's 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 a little crazy. Do you want to talk a little bit about the art in this book? Yeah, I mean, look, Patrick Gleason remains awesome. I don't think this is his strongest work. I think largely because I don't find his people out of costume as strong in this issue. As even thinking back to like the beginning of Beyond where there's that like, lunch conversation between Ben and Peter that was really handsomely illustrated. Like, I just don't think that the faces here are quite up on the same level. Like it, this one feels more rushed by him than the other stuff while also still being brilliant in, in moments. Like he plays with reflections in an interesting way with like hammerheads crew and the blood and the goblin and Osborne's desk. And like there's visual callbacks and stuff, but like, I just don't, I did not find the character work as beautiful in, in this issue. I mean, even that full page splash of Spider-Man swinging is very attractive, but feels very like weirdly distorted in a way that like, it's like you can fill the page with his body a little bit more. It doesn't have to be so squeezed together. Any, anyway, what do you, what did you think about his stuff in this book? 
Well, I, I, I do want, before I get into the interior, I do want to note this was for the, for the first time for this arc, I was able to get my hands on a Gleason cover variant, which is funny because I actually, of all the Ramita Hannah covers for this arc, I thought this was the best one that they did, but but I got the other one anyway, because it was, uh, my, my comic book store had it. I mean, I, 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 I share in that. I don't, I don't think this was as... Dy- dynamic throughout. I don't think I have as much of a problem with his people out of costume, but like it, it, there, there definitely was some moments that lacked visual clarity in terms of what was happening. At the same time, like he's, I, I still maintain that he's probably, and you know how much I love JRJR. So me saying this is a big deal. Like I think he's the the, the best artist we've had on this book in 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 many a year. The the stuff with the gang war. I mean, like just just the way he depicts the violence of this book in in general i feel it's just very unique and creative and and unnerving and at the same time um i i just i love gleason's work i i really hope we can get more of them um as much there's as that I love- image of of spider-man ripping the road guard off to like smack the red god the queen goblin with it awesome like cool stuff i do i have to admit like it's an attractive figure, but I kind of find his MJ unrecognizable. Like I know it's MJ, but like he indulges in like the freckles and doesn't really lean into her dimples in the same way that like someone like JRJR does. Like where like that MJ is immediately recognizable to me, whereas this one's just kind of like uh looks kind of like a Terry Moore version of, of MJ, and I just I I don't know. It's it's not like I don't dislike it. I just every time he's drawn MJ, I'm like, I don't really like she's an attractive character, but it doesn't scream MJ to me. But you love the man bun on Paul, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, now, uh, did you see speaking of Patrick Gleason, he posted this like uh, uh, like I, I guess it's a tweet. I can't even remember where it was anymore, but like I'm bouncing between things at least to read where he was like, I got to draw like one of the greatest reunions between two characters this week. And he had like a hidden photo. And when you clicked on it, it was Spider-Man dropping Paul. Uh, <laughs> so like at the very least within the spider office and the artist, like there is some joking going on about like how hated Paul is. Everyone um, wants to hate Paul. I mean, like you do have to think like when Paul does eventually go, I mean, it's going to be spectacular, right? I mean, like, I mean, I don't even know because he's such a non-character. What would you I even know. do to make that I, spectacular? You I know? don't know. I mean, like, just, just, just open your mind, Dan. I mean, like, <laughs> just like it's, it's pretty gonna, open. Yeah, it's 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 going to be pretty 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 awesome. I think uh, when they figure it out. But you know, in the meantime, let's let's put him in a. I mean, like. I'm, I'm, I, I keep joking about it in the, in the synopsis, but like, my God, putting him in a man bun is like next level trolling. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> it's like, like, let's take the least liked character in this book and like give him a physical characteristic that is like universally mocked across the board and just play you could have given him like white dredge that's probably the only way it could could get worse i i I guess so i mean but like yeah i i feel like this was the most realistic way to just be a total troll about it i mean like you know and i know like the trolling is what 
drives some people crazy about the spider office, but I tip my hat. Like, I'm just like that guys, you win, man. Like that's a, that's a mic drop right there. I mean, like you just, you acknowledge it and you don't, you, you DJAF about it. So good for you. Yeah. I mean, Paul, Paul has got some serious Chad energy going on uh, right now. So, uh, so yeah. Anyway, let's get to grades. Uh, Mark, uh, what would you give this book? I'll give it a B plus. I thought this was a really good wrap up and I think I would give the whole arc a B plus. So there you go. I'm giving this one a B, but I think with you, I would give the arc a B plus. I think this run overall is oftentimes is better than the individual issues, which is to say I've liked most of the issues, but I think the way that it weaves around has been pretty great for modern Spider-Man. Yeah. All right, Mark. Well, why don't you take us home? Well, it is, of course, that time, time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning into this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, this podcast exists because of listener support on Patreon. For only $3.99 a month, you can help support our show's existence while getting early episodes, including these reviews the same week the comics release, exclusive artwork, and a ton of other bonuses. So thank you to everyone who already supports us and the work that we do. To download our earliest episodes, including interviews with legendary creators like J.M. Demetrius, Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, Mark Bagley, David Michelini, and many more. Subscribe to our amazing Spider Talk Back Issues podcast on Apple Podcasts. As always, this podcast was edited by Rick Coast. The video version of the show is available on YouTube and was edited by Alex Galucki. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friend, Sal Buscema, and Nick Cagnetti. Our theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. And our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton. So, Mark, until we get a Spider-Man comic that takes place entirely in the 42nd Street shuttle from Times Square to Grand Central, or even the underground tunnel that connects Times Square to Rockefeller Center, you know the one. What's our motto? With great podcasts, there must also come the amazing Spider-Talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment.